You're listening to the RUF at Western Carolina University podcast. RUF is a campus ministry that exists to reach students for Christ and to equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world. For more information, follow us on Instagram. We're at RUFATWCU or look us up online at www.ruf.org. Thanks for listening. We are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're in chapter 6. We did the first half last week, and we're going to tackle the second half this week. Uh, It's a a longer chunk that I originally thought that I would do in in two different weeks, but I I think it all holds together uh, and and will be better as a whole. So uh, bear with me as I read this longer section for us, Uh, but we're going to talk tonight about worry and stress and anxiety and what Jesus has to say about those things. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon... And all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray, and we'll talk about what that means. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth it reveals to us about who you are, who we are, and what you've done to bring us back to yourself. As we look tonight at Jesus' words about our worry, uh, I pray that you would help us to rest in your love for us. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I wonder what it is that keeps you up at night. Not what wakes you up at night, right? Roommates or your stomach or like, I don't know, like crazy people on your hall. Um, There was one night in college where I was an RA and I got woken up because two of my residents were throwing Frisbee in the hall and they were really bad at it and they kept hitting my door with their Frisbee. But I'm not wondering what wakes you up, what keeps you up. Right? When you wake up in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning, 
or when you're finally trying to go to sleep at the end of the day, what does your mind go to? What goes through your head? In other words, what do you worry about? For me, at different times in life, it's been things like my senior design project when I was an undergrad, this kind of capstone level course uh, for my mechanical engineering major, finding a job when I was nearing graduation from seminary and had a wife who was pregnant and had just resigned from her job. Uh, I worried about what the girl I had a crush on in high school thought of me. Uh, I worried during COVID about whether there'd be anyone left in RUF by the time the pandemic was over. Uh, Trish and I, uh, after Sophie, our, our second child was miscarried. So when Trish was pregnant with Maggie, I'd worry about her health and the baby's health. What do you worry about? And what do you do with your worry? When you're worried about something, what's your response? Are you somebody who distracts? Right? Maybe when I said, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? You don't know the answer because anytime you have trouble sleeping, you turn to Netflix or music or just scroll on your phone until you involuntarily fall asleep. You don't want to worry, so you distract your mind with other things. Some people distract, some people plan. Right? If you're worried about a tough conversation, maybe you rehearse it in your head over and over and over because, of course, you can perfectly predict what other people are going to say in a conversation, and you can plan for that kind of thing. Right? Or, or maybe you just imagine worst-case scenarios in your life and how you would respond, what you're going to do. My strategy when I worry is to overwork. When I'm worried about money, it's trying to find like an effective side gig. When I worried about senior design, I'd start working way too early and way too long into the night and avoid and ignore my other classes. We all have plenty of things that we worry about, things that cause us stress, anxiety, keep us awake at night, and at times just overwhelm us. And Jesus has some things to say about our worry in this passage tonight. Uh, the first thing he does is he gives a couple pictures that are designed to help reduce our worry. The first is a picture of birds, right? Jesus says, imagine, picture in your head, the birds, right? They don't plant seeds, Jesus says. They don't harvest grain. They don't stockpile food in the barn or in the pantry. And yet somehow they don't go hungry. Why? Because God provides for them. The second picture he has us consider is flowers, right? Jesus says they don't spin thread. They don't cure animal hides. And yet somehow they are clothed in beauty, right? They're more be beautiful than Solomon, the king of Israel at the height of Israel's wealth. Why? Because God clothes them. And in both of these examples, Jesus says, aren't you more valuable than they are? Aren't you worth more to God than they are? In other words, if God takes time to care for birds and flowers, then surely he will take time to care for you. Birds sound really pretty, flowers look really pretty, but neither of them hold a candle to you in importance. Won't God take care of your needs? There's something here that, that I want to point out that's kind of been pervasive throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but I think here's a, a good place to, to highlight it. Uh, a few years ago in freshman Bible study, I, I asked students, how would you describe God? And I got all the answers that you'd expect, right? Holy loving, gracious, just, present, providing, and faithful. But there's something missing. 
I wonder if you've noticed that over and over throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has basically one name for God, your Father. A couple times he refers to God, one time he says, my Father. But generally, when Jesus talks about God, he calls him your Father. And what that means is that you are not the only one concerned about your life. So much of our worry comes from the fact that we think that anything good that's going to come into our life will have to come from our own efforts. Right? No one else is going to help me. I have to do it myself. We think that we're the only ones ultimately who care deeply about our lives. But if you're a Christian, Jesus instructs you in prayer and in the way that you think about God to think about him and to call him Father. God is your Father. He cares, he sees, he notices, he loves, he provides. What would change about your thoughts? What would change about your reactions, about your life, if the first thing that came to mind when you thought about God was that he's your father? That's the first thing that Jesus tells us to consider in our worry, is that we have a father who cares for us. But he also does a lot of work to point out the futility of our worry, that worry doesn't actually do anything, right? In verse 27, he, he says, Who, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And of course, the answer is no one, right? Worry and anxiety actually have the opposite effect on us, right? Worry doesn't prolong our life. It actually, like prolonged stress and anxiety can lead to all kinds of medical issues. And it shortens life or at least reduces its quality, when I was approaching graduation in seminary, uh, I was talking to uh, a ministry and interviewing with them, uh, and things were going pretty well. And so in April, graduation was like mid-May, in April, Trish put in her resignation for the Spanish teacher job that she was doing at the time. Uh, and then a little bit later, we found out we were pregnant. And then like the next week, I got rejected from the job. Uh, yeah, like a month out of sight of graduation. And I spent a lot of sleepless nights worrying, right? What am I going to do? How am I going to provide for my family? Like, are we going to have health care to be able to, like, have this baby in a hospital, right? Which is ridiculous. Of course we would be fine. We have friends and parents who love us and would care for us. But, like, my worry did nothing to help me find a job, right? All it meant was that I was exhausted from my classes for the last month of seminary. Jesus says our worry doesn't do anything, right? It doesn't add a single hour to our span of life. He points this out at the beginning of the passage, too, in verse 19. He says this, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Right? Sometimes in our worry, our tendency is to work, to accumulate things, to, to kind of have a, a safety net, a, a protection but Jesus says those things are vulnerable, right? Maybe we don't worry about moths and rust, but inflation, taxes, those steal and destroy things just as effectively as moths and rust do. And at the very end, in verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Basically, Jesus says, even if your worry could do something, you don't know enough about tomorrow to know what to worry about, right? You don't know what tomorrow's problems are. You're not in control of tomorrow. So attend to today's needs 
and that will be enough. Our worry comes from forgetfulness, that we forget we have a Heavenly Father. Our worry doesn't actually do anything positive. And finally, Jesus points out that our worry distracts us from things that do matter. In verse 20, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And in verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, in his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our worry distracts us from the things that have eternal consequences. Worry leads to busyness, which keeps us from the word and prayer and growth in the Christian life. Worry leads to selfishness, keeping things for ourselves instead of giving our money or time to others in need. And worry leads to discontentment, keeping us from rest. In response to our worry and stress and anxiety, Jesus says, remember who your father is. Worry doesn't help and work towards things that matter. And all that's absolutely true. I think that's what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. But if we're honest, maybe that doesn't feel very helpful, right? Uh, Every spring semester, including this one, uh, I look at our group of graduating seniors and I think, oh, crap. Right? How on earth are we going to do RUF without these people? Right? I've gotten to know them so well, and they give so much time and energy to the ministry. Right? I wake up in the middle of the night, and I worry about community groups and events. And like new people that show up in RUF, are they going to be welcomed by anybody except for like me and the staff? Like, are there going to be actual students to welcome them? Right? And then I hear about people who are graduating early or leaving for other reasons, and it just gets worse. And if you tell me, in my worry and stress about what are we going to do next year, who by being anxious can add a single hour to his life, right? How by being anxious can you deal with, like, the challenge of graduating seniors? I will not take that well, right? If you tell me, don't worry about tomorrow, do what you need to do for today, I would say, yes, but there won't be anything for me to do tomorrow if all the seniors graduate and there's no one left in RUF. Right? Like, that's where my mind goes in worry. And if you say, like, just listen to don't worry, be happy on repeat a couple times, I would wonder if you knew, if, like, if you had ever worried about anything ever in your life. Now, every year, God is faithful to move in more students' hearts to call them to serve on leadership with RUF, but that's kind of beside the point, right? I'm a pastor. I know all the stuff that Jesus says that he talks about, and I tell it to you guys all the time. And yet, I still worry. How can I know that God is my Father? That my worry doesn't actually help? That my stress is unhealthy and distracting me from what I'm called to do today and still be stressed? I think Jesus gives us the answer in this passage. In verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And in verse 21, he points out where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. As another wise sage, Bob Dylan, said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Jesus knows how we're wired. He says something sits on the throne of your life, and you are serving something. There's something in our lives about which we say, unless I have that, I have nothing. Or maybe we put it the other way, right? Maybe it's more aspirational. As long as I get that someday... 
I will be okay. If I have that, I'll know that I've arrived. And when that thing, when whatever we treasure, is something other than the king, other than the good shepherd, we call that idolatry. And that starts to shape us, right? That's what Jesus is talking about in that weird passage with the eye and the lamp, right? What are you looking at? What are you beholding? What are you focused on? What do you treasure? Because that shapes how you think. That shapes how you react. That leads us to worry. Because right after Jesus says you can't serve two masters, he says, therefore, don't worry. At a spiritual level, our worry, our stress, and our anxiety are tied to our idolatry. When we're serving something other than God, when we're seeking something other than to walk in the way of the Good Shepherd, when that's our master, it causes stress and anxiety. Um, Here's how this works, right? Like, if you think about, what do I worry about? And you kind of pull on that thread, and you ask, what are the assumptions behind that? What you'll find, probably, are some idols. And here's what that looks like, right? What's going on in my heart every spring with all that worry over the state of RUF next year? And what does that reveal about my heart? What does that reveal about my beliefs? Well, for one thing, my worry about RUF, my, like, despair in moments and, like, helplessness in moments and frustration in moments, uh, reveals that I think I care more about RUF at Western than God does. And that's ridiculous, right? That's a bad assumption to make. Also, my worry, maybe, maybe it reveals my concern about our ability to reach students, right? Like if, if there's not as much help, we won't come into contact with as many people. But also, maybe I just equate numbers with God's blessing and success, right? Another thing, it can reveal my tendency to tie my significance as a person to the success of RUF rather than God's love for me, right? So in my mind, I think that if there are a lot of people coming to things, RUF is going well. And without seniors to help invite and welcome to facilitate ways for people to get plugged in, our numbers will go down and I will feel less full as a person, right? And so I can make an idol of large group attendance, And then I just view seniors as a means to keep numbers up, which is terrible, right? Like, they're people. They're not means to an end. They're they're God's children. But but me leaning into my worry and not distracting from it and not overworking, but, like, looking at it and saying, okay, what are the assumptions? What are the, the beliefs? What's the heart condition behind this worry reveals those idols, Now, thankfully, this isn't always the case, right? Over my years here, I've learned to recognize that idol for what it is, a lie. And I'm able to value Jesus over attendance at large group. And then everything, when that happens, everything's a a lot healthier, right? I stop seeing seniors as a means to an end and instead, like, can actually celebrate them and care for them as people and look at them and say, thank you for all that you've done. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations on graduating. Right? Not focusing so much on numbers means that I actually think about the success of RUF biblically. Right? Like, are you guys growing in love for God? Are people becoming believers? Are you learning more about him and seeking to follow Jesus? And most of all, I'm able to rest. Right? I'm able to rest and love people, not for what they can do for RUF or for me, but for who God has made them to be and the work that he is doing in their lives. 
when Jesus is on the throne of my heart, when he's the master I'm serving, all of those things from this passage that I know intellectually, right, that God is my father, that my worry doesn't do anything, those things actually become real to me. And Jesus' words here aren't like trite little platitudes, but actual comfort. What about you? Right, this is what I want you guys to do this week. Personally, in community groups, however you manage to do it, right? What are your worries and stresses? What are you anxious about? Could be finding close friends and belonging. Could be picking the right major. Could be worrying about whether or not you have picked the right major, especially if you're a senior, right? I'm about to graduate with this degree, and I hate it. Could be getting into the program you've picked. Could be stressed and worried about dating. Your family situation back home. Grades, money, job after college, a job now. And I think you'll find that if you tug on the thread of that worry, you'll be able to follow it back to an idol in your heart. And those idols could be any number of things, right? Even any number of good things. That idol could be ease or comfort or the security that a high-paying job represents for you. Maybe your idol is respect or being seen as valuable or freedom or control or a picture of what you want your family to look like or a level of income or luxury or, again, any number of things. But it's something about what you're saying in your heart, if I don't have that, I don't have anything. And because you're not actually in control of that thing, you worry because that thing is vulnerable and can be threatened, and so we stress. And I'll, I'll warn you, it will be uncomfortable to tug on that thread, right? It's uncomfortable for me to stand in front of you and say all of the crazy things that are in my mind when I worry about graduating seniors. But as you do that, your idol will be exposed, and you'll see it for what it is, and you'll say, I don't want that, right? You'll see that what you're sacrificing to it costs more than it can give you. And it'll come off its throne. And then you'll be able to put something else there. You'll be able to put someone else there. Right? Why not, instead of worshiping these vulnerable things that are outside of our control, why not let someone else sit on the throne of your heart? Someone who isn't vulnerable, who can't be threatened. Right? What if Christ were on the throne of your heart? There's nothing that can threaten him. Death itself couldn't defeat him. And no, we're not in control of him, but, but he's an idol that we don't want to be in control of. Jesus isn't an idol. He's somebody that can sit on the throne that we wouldn't want to control because he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he loves us more than we love ourselves. Why not serve a master whose yoke is easy? Why not serve a God and Father who knows what you need before you ask? That's what Jesus invites us to do with our worry and our anxiety. He wants us to follow the thread, trace the thread back to the idols in our heart, and instead set those aside and rest in the comfort of his love for us and our Father's provision and care for us. Um, as we wrap up, uh, I just I want to make a couple clarifying statements about anxiety in general, uh, because I, I find that people have two tendencies with anxiety or worry. Uh, either we say it's only spiritual Right? Like, if, I'm, if I can figure out the spiritual cause, then I'll never worry ever again. Uh, or we, we kind of default and say, like, it's never spiritual. 
right? Like if there's worry or if there's anxiety, like it's only a physical or psychological thing. Uh, and what we've been talking about here is the spiritual side of worry, stress, and anxiety. But there can be a physical and psychological side as well, right? Um, in other words, it's complicated, right? Like there could be spiritual causes, there could be physical causes, there could be historical causes, right? Spiritual work when it comes to stress and anxiety is important, but sometimes that's not the only work that needs to be done, right? Because we're spiritual beings, but we're also physical beings who have stories, right? And healing and growth in the Christian life often means addressing all three of those things, right? To address spiritual needs and concerns, you should talk to a pastor or a campus minister or an intern or an RUF staff person, right? We would be happy to do this with you, to talk about your worry and your stress and like help you pull on that thread and see what the idols are there. But to address your past, right, like your story, sometimes you need to talk to a counselor, somebody trained and licensed to do that kind of work. I am not trained for that. I'm not your counselor, I'm your pastor, okay? To address a physical issue, sometimes you need some kind of medication, right? So if your worry and stress is causing you, like is out of control, then like that could be a sign of a bigger problem going on. And, and here's a, a, like a litmus test for that. Like worrying sometimes is normal, right? Like it's normal to lose some sleep the night before a big test or a first date. But if you can't sleep for a month before those things, like that might be an issue, right? If you lose your appetite, or if your worry and stress is out of proportion to the thing that you're worried about, that might be a sign of something more serious. So if any of that sounds like you, please talk to somebody, right? Reach out to me, to one of the RUF staff people here, to your community group leader, a pastor from home, your parent, like anybody. And if that sounds too big like to go to one of those people, tell a friend, and the two of you come talk to any of those people, right? And we will pray with you and for you and help you navigate the spiritual side of moving towards health. And we will help you connect with counselors and others who can walk that path with, with you on the physical and like your story side of things. If you have questions about that, uh, I forgot to update on the announcement sheet what office hours are about. I'm happy to talk about fasting tomorrow if anybody wants to show up and talk about fasting over lunch, which would be interesting. Um, but if you want to talk about this, I'm more than happy to do that as well. Um, I think that's everything I wanted to say about that. Again, if you have questions, please come talk to me. Um, talk to Kate, Matthew, Eva. Uh, but again, Jesus wants us to see our worry and our stress and our anxiety and not just set it aside and not just push through it, but actually like follow the chain back to our hearts and see what is displacing him there and instead put Jesus on the throne. Because where we, what we treasure that's where our heart will be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great love that you have for us, your provision for us, your kindness to us, the care that you have for us as our Father. Uh, we confess that we are so forgetful about that. Uh, and instead, when challenges come up, when things, uh, important things come up and are on the horizon, instead we worry. And we distract ourselves and we, um, we work too hard or we plan for things that we can't plan for, and we forget that we have a loving Heavenly Father who sees us and cares for us and provides for us and wants us to come to Him with our needs and with our worries. 
Father, I pray that as we consider what we worry about, uh, that you would open our hearts to us, help us to see the, the incorrect things that we believe, help us to see the idols uh, that have a hold on our hearts and on our affections, the things that we treasure that are actually causing all of this worry and stress. And instead, Father, I pray that you would help us to let those things go and to put you on the throne of our hearts, and that in doing so, we might rest and be able to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and seek first the kingdom of God. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.